Well, good morning, guys. My name is uh, Sean. Uh, I am a pastoral resident here, and uh, if I don't know you and you don't know me, uh, I'd love to get to meet you. Uh, find me after service. I, I really would. Uh, my role here is uh, I'm, a, I'm a church planning resident, and so essentially what that means is right now myself and some leaders who are part of uh, Redemption, and we have a core, uh, core group of people, and we are planting a church um, on the west side of town. So um, right now there's a pretty good uh, group of us. We actually met last night as a core group, and we're getting together the first Saturday night. And you'll hear more about all of that in the, the months to come, but for now, just know that's kind of my role, but um, specifically. Now, now, a part of that also is to help Frank give him a break, um, which we all need sometimes um, from him. Um, uh, <laughs> you know, every now and then to, to do this. So I get the opportunity to share. Now, because of the nature of our text and how much we have to go through, I'm going to kind of remove the pleasantries and kind of get right into it, okay? So if you have your Bibles, you're, you're in Romans chapter 13. I want to read this text very quickly and set us up on a trajectory that I hope will help us. Um, when you're looking at this text this morning, um, you're going to be looking at 13, 8 through 14. Now, I'm going to give us the review in a second. I'm going to walk us through all of that, okay? Um, but here's, here's what I want to do, that, and, and I hope that, it, that will get I, The thrust of the passage this morning is going to be found in verses 11 through 14. I wholeheartedly believe that, okay? Um, and I think, and obviously the way that the, the word is structured, that that is the case, and we'll get it. But what I want to do is I, I want to, I don't know if you guys have ever seen these type of movies. I'm assuming you have, but these are actually my favorite kind of movies that show the end of the movie first, right? So it shows this kind of climactic scene, shows this like, what on earth was that? And then it kind of stops and it goes six months later, or a year later, 10 years later, whatever it is. Um, so it shows this big epic scene at the very beginning of the movie. And then what it does is it goes, rewinds basically. And I don't mean just chronology or the, the, the order in which it's taking place, like uh, certain movies. I mean, just shows that scene and then it goes to like 10 months earlier. And then as you watch the movie, uh, the things that happened in the beginning of the movie, which were actually at the end of the time uh, period, begin to make sense. So suddenly you're watching this, so movies like Fight Club or Citizens Kane, whatever it is, you're watching the end and you just see this quick scene and you're like, what was that? Okay. And then it goes back and it shows you how you get there. So what I want to do is, because as you're looking at your, your Bibles right now, um, verses 8 through 14, probably most of your Bibles show it, it's broken up into two sections, okay? 8 through 10 and 11 through 14. I want to read 11 through 14 just very quickly, and then we're going to come back, and then we'll go through our whole text very systematically and, and tackle all the things. But I, I, I think there's a purpose, and I think if we can do it like this, um, we'll get everything that 11 through 14 is really trying to communicate to us, okay? So just a broad overview. This is what it says in verses 11 through 14, okay? It says this, Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from your sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual morality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Here's our hook, the beginning of our movie. Here's, here's what I want to try to say. Um, if you read that passage, those, those uh, four verses at the end of our, our text this morning, you read that and that is a consummation of what everyone outside of this room sees um, in Christianity. So anybody who does not follow Jesus or is not religious looks at us as Christians or maybe just religious people in general and says, all you do is follow rules. And the truth is, as we read this text, it's there, isn't it? Like the day is at hand. Are you serious? We have guys rocking around with A-frame signs telling us that very thing. 
And this text just puts in front of us, yeah, it is true. I mean, if I'm going to say that I'm going to put on the armor of light and not walk in the darkness, and I'm saying I'm putting on the armor of light, well, then you're walking in the darkness. And we could talk till we're blue in the face, and as people would say, you think you're perfect, or you just follow a bunch of rules, or you think you're better than us, and we just simply say, no, we don't. We don't think we're better. We don't think we're perfect. Um, And that's the end of our passage. But it's there, isn't it? I mean, the truth is we hold to a moral standard that most of our culture doesn't. That is a true reality. There are boxes to be checked off. There are things not to mess around with in sin. That is a reality. To continue to play around with sensuality, sexual morality is no joke, and it shouldn't take place. If you are a Christian, that is a truth. That is a fact. And that's the way the world sees us. That's the way the media would portray us. Bunch of prude people who don't do this and don't do that. The truth is, that's what the text puts in front of us. That's kind of the end of our text, right? But, but if we could see the end of our movie um, and just put in front of the media, our friends, our family who aren't Christians, and just simply say, but if you only understood verses 8 through 10, you would get the whole thing. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to go through this passage together, um, and I want to talk about why that's a big deal and how that is done, okay? So here's, here's how we're going to do this. Um, again, if you are new and, and you don't know this, um, we've been going through the book of Romans for a long time now. Um, and I don't just mean like we're just taking huge chunks like we are now. There have been moments where we've just done one verse. Um, and if I could just catch you up very quickly, in the very beginning of Romans, it basically lays out in front of all of us to say, hey, listen, you can't get this thing right. Like there's not a lot of things that you can do that God goes, wow, if anything. So we fail and we have deep sin that we regret. So much of our, t- uh, of our life is, is uh, filled with moments of this, right? And, and then we get in about the middle of Romans and we see that Jesus saves us. So it's not based on what we did, but Jesus saves us. And then as we hit Romans chapter 12, we get our response to that, okay? And so if you've been along with us, that's a quick overview, and and it might be um, too quick, but that's kind of how it breaks down. We can't do it. Jesus has done it for us, and now we respond to that. Now, here's the reason I bring that up, because we're in chapter 13. One chapter before this, in chapter 12, started that. Here's our response to that, okay? And the way it started was that we are to be living sacrifices, that we present our body as holy and blameless. So in response to the gospel— we are to be a sacrifice for God. Like that is our, we are walking dead. We are being crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20, not have been crucified with Christ. We are being crucified every single day, laying our life. So there's this first tension that I want you to grab onto at the very beginning of Romans 12, that it has everything to do with sacrifice, okay? And then in Romans chapter 12, verse nine, takes us into our passage today, started this trend of love. It said, let love be genuine, and then it laid out all these things that you should be doing. So be a sacrifice, but let it be in love. And so it said, man, serve one another, give to one another. Last week we had talked about, Frank laid out government, even how we interact with the government. It is all in the parentheses of love. And so here's the two tension rods, right? Like we have to hold on to. There is a life of sacrifice, but at the same time there is an immediate pull of love. And I want to talk about this morning how these things go hand in hand and how, to be honest with you, they're actually inseparable. So we, we pick up in verse uh, 8. This is what it says in, in Romans chapter 13, verse 8. It says, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves um, another has fulfilled the law. The first part of this, um, owe no one anything, is an immediate um, uh, response to, or at least carryover from verse 7, uh, which Frank had laid out last week. And this is what it says. It says, Pay to all what is owed. 
to them. Taxes to, to whom taxes are owed, sorry. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. And then it says in verse 8, owe no one anything. So basically it says, hey, if you have a mortgage, pay it. If you owe the government money, pay them. If you have student loans, pay them. If someone deserves respect, pay it. If someone deserves honor, pay it. But the truth is, now we have something that we are in debt to that we cannot pay, that we would love over and over. Matter of fact, if you have an NIV um, uh, translation, it, it translates like this, and this might help you a little bit because um, it did for me. It says this, let, net, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. So for us, we process, as we see, there are things that we owe, but there is this debt that we are in, and that is love. So let me explain why this is important. Because you only owe someone, guys, you, you only owe someone if they've done something for you. If they give, so I owe APS because they gave me electricity. I, I, um, I owe the car insurance because they cover us. I owe someone a favor because they did me a favor. So there are these temporal things that we owe, yet we're told here that this love can never be paid. This debt of love can never be paid. And the reason that is the case is because we are paying this debt of love, not in response to what we have gotten from anybody else or each other, but we're paying this debt in response to what Jesus has given us. So when it says, owe no one anything except love is response to everything we have talked about, the, uh, talked about uh, up to this point and now in responding into to Jesus Christ. But here's what I want you to grab. Whatever we're going to talk about from this point is that love piece, okay? So he sets a premise of love and then this is what it says. And we'll get on our way with our text. Here it goes. It says this, for the commandment, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covenant. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no, does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Let me read this again because I'm hoping um, this can be imprinted into our brain, especially at least verses 8 through 10. For the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. For the commandment, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not. Hear the shall not. You shouldn't do. You shall not covenant. And any other commandments are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. So here we are, um, and let's just put all this, this, this stuff together. Here, here's where I want to go. Um, it talked about this word law. You could see it at the very end of that verse. And if you don't know anything about Christianity, you're still trying to figure this stuff out, that word law he is referring to, and he just quoted a huge portion of what the Old Testament is based off of, that God in his sovereignty, love, beauty, and poetry has given his people rules to follow. The end of our movie. There are rules to follow. He has given them rules to follow. There are laws that need to be done that need to be stop doing this or start doing this, whatever it is God has put in front. So when we talk about law, that's what he's talking about. Now, um, that all takes place with the people of God before Jesus. So here's what's crazy. And this is um, something that's really profound and has helped me as I continue uh, to kind of read this story. Right now I'm going through uh, the Action Storybook Bible with uh, my, my two boys, Corbin is six and Titus is four. And the Action Storybook Bible is... Um, it's really awesome. So it's built out as comics, and it's no hold bar, right? So it's like showing the blood. So Samson's got like a ox bone. He's like ripping someone's face off. I'm like, you see that? Yeah, that's how it went down, okay? Um, so there's blood everywhere. And, no, I don't know. It's not that bad. Um, but it's just really intense. And we're reading this, and we're going through the story. And here's what is like so obvious as we read the story of the people of God. This is our history that I'm trying to uh, put before us. Um, they have been given this law, the thou shall not stuff. Don't do this. Don't do this. Start doing this. And there are two things apparent as you go through this story. The first one is this. Holy cow, do they get this thing wrong? They can just, they can't hold on tight to, to what God wants them longer than, than months, years at best. They just continue to fail over and over and over again. 
It's so crazy. We just read um, how, basically, if you don't know this, the, the story of God's people, Israel breaks up into two different kingdoms, and there's Judah and there's Israel, and they each have a separate king. Well, one of the kings... Um, who they're all, there's a bunch of just wicked kings and some good kings, but just a bunch of wicked kings in there. Well, there's this eight-year-old boy who's made to be king. His name's Josiah. And he grows up and he grows up and he ends up finding the law of God because the people of God have forgotten this law, these things you should do and should not do. And he forgot it. And he is so like, yes, he's rebuilding the temple. One of the, the, the high priests finds it and they begin to read the law and they go, holy cow. Like we've been doing what we want this whole time. Look how off base we are. And so what he does is he conforms the people of God again. He brings them back to the center and says, let's do what God has asked us to do, okay? And as he grows up, he's making all these reforms. And the people of Israel, like, they look like they're on point for a little bit, right? And it's so funny because I'm reading this story with the boys. And I want to read it to you. It's actually in 2 Second, um, Second Kings. So verse, uh, chapter 23 in Second Kings is this uh, history of how Josiah finds the law, right? Well, you go into chapter 24 of, uh, of Second Kings, and, and uh, uh, what you find is um, Josiah, now he's older, he ends up dying in battle. He dies in battle, and the story of him dying in battle happens at the end of verse 30, okay? It happens towards the end of the verse 30. That's the end of that section, okay? So you have a new king, and this is what it says, and I, I love it because it's, it's hilarious. Jehoahaz uh, was 23 years old when he began to reign. So Josiah dies, and then there's a new king named Jehoahaz. He becomes king uh, to reign. And he reigned for three months in Jerusalem. Three months. He reigned for three months in Jerusalem. His mother's name was uh, Humutzatel, uh, the daughter of Jeremiah of Lebanon. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his fathers had done. Okay? Here's what's hilarious about this. Um, here's Josiah. Like, he brings the people of God back to the center. They're getting it right. They're getting it right. It takes but three months for the dude who follows them just to go back to all wickedness. Like, they cannot get this thing right. So that's the first thing that's obvious as you read the, people of, the story of the people of God. As when you think about the law, that the law that God has given them, the first thing is they can't get this right. And here's the second thing. When they do get it right, gosh, do they complain. Like, when they're following God, it becomes laborsome. It becomes rote. It becomes laborious. It's like, why are we doing this? I mean, this is just a story of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The people of God complaining. They're just taken out of slavery. They're following God in the wilderness. They're, they're listening to what God has them to do. And all they do is complain. We don't have food. At one point, they're like, can't we go back to slavery? Are you serious? Are you serious right now? I just rescued. Did you not see what I did with the Red Sea? He has water comes out of rocks. He has birds deliver them food. Bread's growing up from the ground. It's crazy. And all they do is complain. And, and we're forced to ask this immediate question because our text tells us this morning that it is love that fulfills the law. And if we look at the story of the people of God trying to follow this law, it becomes blatantly clear. They fail at doing it. They can't get it right. And when they do get it right, all they do is complain. And yet we are told in our passage today that love fulfills it. So we're immediately forced to ask the question, or at least make the statement, the reason they continue to fail, the reason they continue to complain, is because there's no deep affection for God. Like, th th there are moments where we're happy for what, what we get from him, but there's this removal of, man, I long for who he is. I desire to be around him. Like, like we, we, have, we have made our, um, our laws about us. So, so let, let, let's do it like this. What if we were to take that idea of love, if that's true, that love fulfills the law, and just apply it to those two things, right? Because the first one that we fail, um, I think marriage is a perfect example of this for us to, to totally understand this failing and 
uh, complaining piece. Um, because the truth is, if, if you're married, and I don't, FYI, if you're not married yet, man, you mess up, okay? Um, you just don't get it right a lot. And you, you stumble and stumble, and there are moments where you don't feel like doing things. Um, part of uh, my premarital counseling, when I do premarital counseling with someone, is I have them read a certain pa- uh, section in a book called The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller. Um, and I think it helps us get our mind around how, as the people of God, going through their story, have these laws, have these things that they should do, but why they are failing at doing them. Let me read this passage real quick, because I, I think it will help us get where we need to go. It says, in our relationship, there will be frightening spells in which your feelings of love dry up. Yes, okay? And when that happens, you must remember that the essence of marriage is that it is a covenant, a commitment, a promise of future love. So what do you do? You do the acts of love despite your lack of feeling. You may not feel tender, sympathetic, or eager to please, but in your actions, you must be tender, understanding, and forgiving, and helpful. And if you do that, at time, uh, as time goes on, you will not only get through the dry spells, but they will become less frequent and deep. And hear this, and you will become more cons- uh, consistent in your feelings. This is what can happen if you decide to love. So the, the, the immediate push in front of us is to say, and there are things that God wants us to do. There are things that he has whispered in your ear that you continue to play games with, that we continue to fondle the things that Jesus has died for, that we treat that are okay, and he's saying, it's not okay. I'm telling you, that's not okay. Like, how long do you think flirting with that coworker is going to last? It's not okay. And so he puts these things in front of us and says, these things are not okay, but I'm telling you, if you try to do these things and it's not in response to love for me, well, you ain't getting it right either. And, and to, to Tim Keller's point that it is deep, deep love, not Hollywood love, not uh, uh, like synthetic love, but real deep longing for God that fulfills the law. That we look at the commandments of God and we, we see how beautiful he is and we long to be with him and we love him well and that fulfills the law. Yeah, Jesus says something very similar to this and I think it helps us in John uh, chapter 15 Uh, Verse 10, he says this, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. So for Jesus, he puts in front of us that following God's rules and laws and commandments, they're intertwined, inseparable from loving him. If you follow my commandments, you love me. If you love me, you follow my commandments. That's a a reality. So, So we're forced to go, even when Israel was doing the right thing for the wrong reason, they were doing the wrong thing. So us showing up to church 52 weeks a year means nothing if it's not out of affection for Jesus Christ. If us reading our Bible and praying and going to redemption community and doing all the right things means nothing if it's not out of affection for Jesus Christ. We miss it. We are following the rules. We are following the law, but we're not fulfilling it. That's not the purpose. That's not why he made it. That's not why he put it in front of us. But we treat our sins as individual, why I messed up, and our focus isn't on there. Uh, a great quote. Frank had shared this with me, and I, I think it helps. A guy named Michael Shea says this. He says, we need to understand our battle with sin is the, in, uh, in the context of the command to love. The moral imperative of the Christian life is not just stop sinning, but pursue love. You can't do one without the other. We are frequently frustrated in our struggle with sin because we oppose it in such a self-centered way. We hear ourselves talking about my struggle and my sin and my victory and my defeat and my sanctification and the way my sin makes me feel about, uh, bad about myself. And we are stuck in a quagmire of selfishness. 
don't know what quagmire means. We need to think rather about how our sin keeps us from loving others and hurts others. And here's this, and grieves the spirit of God who loves us with an everlasting love. Man, we get stuck in that coldest stack of stupidity and we continue to do, God, I love you so much. I'm never going to sin again. I'm never going to do it, right? We're promising things at third night of camp week. And so I'm never going to sin again. And then we get, oh, I don't wanna, and then I mess up. And okay, God, I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to do that again. Oh no, I, oh, why did I do that? I suck so bad. Okay, but you know what? I'm never going to do that. And we just over and over and over. And we get stuck in this cul-de-sac and it, and it drives us crazy. And to Michael Shea's point, he says, we're doing it because it's so self-centered. We're not even processing how this affects the Lord of the universe. Like, what does, this, what does this do to his heart? Because here's, please track with me on this. His point is that deep longing, deep love for him is what fulfills doing these things for him. So when he says this, let me read this, because at the very end, this is like the consummation. Therefore, love is this fulfilling of the law. It shows us that verses 8 through 10, the story of Israel, is not just a segue to the main part of our, our section tonight, or today. It's, it's not just the, I had to preach tonight. That's why I said that. Um, uh, or wait, I had to preach last night. Just let's move on. Let's pretend I didn't say any of that right now. Um, it, it shows us that it's not just a section, right? It's like this leads us verses, verses 11 through 14. But what it does, it gives us an example. Let's look back at the people of God and see how they tried to fulfill the law of God without love. Perfect. It's perfect. But here's, here's, here's where I want to stop. I don't know why um, the charismatic movement or the prosperity gospel or whatever you want to call it um, has a monopoly on affections towards God. Like why for them does worship seem so deep? Like, why in the reform circles is it ethereal and removed to have, like, deep longings for God? Like, to want to be near him, to take walks with him. Why is that so removed from our culture? Why to be deeply in love, to read his word and hear what he has to say? Why is that so removed? Guys, God gives us these things because he cares deeply for us. He loves us deeply. You know, uh, in Psalm 27, 8, it says that, David says, the Lord said to my heart, seek my face. And my heart said, Lord, your face I will seek. He speaks to our heart. Even in Psalm 34, 8, like when it says, come, taste and see that the Lord is good. A.W. Tozer would say this denotes, this puts in front of us like sensual, like this is God saying, interact, come and taste and see. It's, it's there, it's real, it's tangible. He's in this room right now. That's a reality. For us to understand these affections towards God and how much he cares for us. In Deuteronomy, he even tells the people of God why he gives them this law and why he chooses this. This is in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 7 through 8. It says, It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord has set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all people. It wasn't what you did or how you did it or how awesome you were that he loved you. But this is what he says, why he chose us as people of God. But it is because... The Lord loves you and is keeping the oath he swore to your fathers. And it goes on to say, but I just, the beginning of this verse, say, hey, I, I, like, just understand this. Why has God called me? Why has God continued to, to uh, woo me? Why is God continuing to say, stop doing this? It's because he loves you. It's because he loves you. Like the longing to be there is, is, is more than just getting it right. Like, it's so much more than just getting it right. I never experienced this more than when I was a youth pastor years ago. Um, so I would have parents come up to me, and they would say, 
um, hey, I need to get my son or daughter, whoever, um, in the youth group. And they would go on to say, like, if I could just get them to know Jesus and to follow Jesus, man, they'd get better grades, and they would they'd do better in school, and, and they'd have better friends. And, and listen, as a parent, you're like, yes. Like, that's everything you just said. Of, of course you want. But hear the underlining, like, motive in what's happening there. Like, I want my son or daughter to know Jesus Christ, but not for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ. I want my son or daughter to know Jesus Christ because of a different end. Because if they know Jesus Christ, they'll stop hanging out with those people. So Jesus has become a means to another end and not the end. And so this is what we fall into. Like his rules are just, they're the end themselves. Like in the end, it's Jesus we long for. And we're responding to his beauty, to his glory. It's his love. And so the end of our movie would say, do all these things. Do all these things. And that's absolutely true. But if it is not coming from a place of love, then we are simply following the law. We're not fulfilling it. We're not doing the things that God wants us to do. Because hear me, people have done the law of God, and you can read the story, um, especially if you can read accounts in the intertestamental period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, just account after account of people um, trying to get this thing right. Um, but it wasn't based on, on love. It was based on uh, different ends, and God seemed to be this, this mean to that end, means to that end. So then we finally get to, to the end scene of our movie, right? We pick it up back in, in uh, verse 11. And this is what it says. Besides this, and, and I don't want to um, act like I'm some Greek theologian, but that word besides is actually the most common used uh, word in the, the uh, New Testament. It's just the word and, chi. Um, and the reason that's important is because we can get like besides this, it's a removal. But I, I, I think, and I don't know, the reason that the ESV translators chose to say the word besides um, is because um, they wanted to, to put in front of us that everything we are talking about this, it's not besides, because besides can mean two different things, right? Besides this, but on top of also what we're talking about. And so he's going besides this, on, on top of everything we're saying, so don't let go of verses 8 through 10, everything having to do with love, love fulfilling the law, so, um, and this, so continuing on this, that's why I would say that ultimately he puts this besides this, just so you can kind of know where I'm coming from here. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed the night is far gone and the day is at hand. So, so let's immediately ask the question, if there is a box to check off, if there are things to do, what is the first thing that love does? The first thing that this passage puts in front of us that love does is it says, quit waiting for tomorrow. Like how long do you can say, I'm gonna stop, I'm gonna stop. Constantly making decisions but never taking action. That's not what love does. If I feel this weight to give my wife a massage and I wanna give her a massage, say, okay, uh, tomorrow I'll do it. Okay, next week I'll do it. And I push it off and I push it off. There's a weight building because I love my wife dearly and I care about her. Okay, and as love builds, it's saying, no, do it now. Like, get up and do it now, you lazy, get up. And so what love immediately puts in front of us is recognize this is not something that we can play around with and wait for our deathbed. Are you kidding me? If he's real, if it's, if it's true, if it's honest, if this is the real story of the world, why are we postponing this following of him? How long will we just say one more click? Like how many, like we just continue to play the little game and now, wake up now. Frank has an awesome shirt that says, um, today I'm older than I've ever been, which is really old. But I, I, I think what's great about that is it's so true, and, and, it, and it puts in front of us this passage. Salvation is nearer now than it's ever been to you. It's nearer today, like tomorrow will be closer, whether you stand before Jesus in glorification because he returns or because you die. I don't know, but the truth is you are one day closer today. 
And if that's true, if that's a reality, then love propels you. It pushes you in the direction to say, wake up, wake up. Quit, quit believing the lies that he's put in front of you. Like Satan's inner sin, like just like the garden, man, questioning. But like if it's true, then live this beast out. So let's keep going. So then he continues to, to, to um, pluck away at this, and, and I think it's extremely helpful, especially this next section. So verse 12 again says this, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. Then he says this, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual morality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. First thing to notice that I think is really unique, besides one thing on there, um, everything that's mentioned on this list has to do with our relationship with, with other people, right? So it, there ain't nobody having an orgy without somebody else, right? And um, sexual morality. And so there's these processes that we can begin to see, like, this has a relationship. But more than that, if we're honest, if you've read through your New Testament, that's definitely not even the end of the list. Like, there's, if you were to read Galatians 5, there are a ton of things that are not mentioned. Uh, envy, deceit, self-centeredness, hate. I mean, you can go on and on. Hypocrisy, homosexuality. Um, over and over, there's different things that are mentioned in, in different passages in the New Testament that you can go find. And this is a short list. And, and I don't know exactly what the Holy Spirit is, is doing, so I don't want to say for sure. But here's what's crazy about this list. As you look at that list, every single one of these things on this list um, is, a, um, is a synthetic version of what real love is. So like as we cast off darkness and we put on the armor of light and we look at these things and we, like God is, is putting us, walk properly in the daytime and stop doing these things. It's not, God is not giving his law because he's like, hey, listen, bro, I know this is a lot of fun, but I really don't want you to have fun. No, that's not why he's laying his law in front of us. He's saying, listen, right now you are going to something that, that is like a firework. It's there and it's gone and it's a lie and it seems like it's so awesome, but it's fake. It's fake. It's, there's no weight to it. it, it it's, a, it's a lie. Like sexual morality. It's so, I could just, if I continue to look at the screen, if I continue to do this, if, when you park in the dark spot on certain type of street, you, you're done for. You think in those next couple moments, you're going to feel happiness. But God says, I'm trying to tell this because I love you. These are the reasons. This is the epicenter of why I don't want you to do these things because they're lying to you, man. They're lying to you. Sexual morality, like jealousy, quarreling, drunkenness. These are things we go to for comfort. These are things we go to for love, but they're, they're, they're fake. They're, they're, they're like sand in our hand. Like there's no weight to these things. And they're, they're artificial forms of what God really calls us to. And yet we buy the lie, hook, line, and sinker. We go in and it's, and it's fun. Like ain't nobody lying. It's fun. I mean, you, for the moment, it's awesome. And then like you wake up and you're like, what am I doing? And you don't just feel the weight of um, maybe what you've done to your wife or maybe what you've done to yourself or your kids. You feel the weight of like, this isn't how I'm created. Like there's something wrong with what's going on right now. So God puts this in front of us to walk properly, not because he's some like puppeteer in the sky trying to make you do things that he wants you to do just so you can do them. He knows how things are created. He knows the way that you are wired. He knows what will bring you happiness. I mean, think of the epitome of, of, of even sexuality. Like, who made it? We've, I've said this maybe a hundred times. Who's, who made the cells to go where they are? The blood to flow where it does, to do what happens, for you to think what you think, the heart to pump the way that. He created that. He, it was his idea. 
And we say, I'm going to take this and do what I want with it. But he's saying, listen, that's a lie. You're, you're, take, you're doing something else that it wasn't designed for. I'm telling you, if you would be patient, and you would do it in the confines in which I created, and though our culture puts in front of us that, man, whether it be marriage or commitment, that in, in front of us, that in these confines, that brings boredom, that brings, uh, I don't want to, that brings a loss of sex drive, whatever it is, and God's saying, no, I'm telling you, those things may seem spectacular, but they'll die out. They'll die out. Like, they seem awesome, but I'm telling you, they're a lie. And God would put in front of us, stop doing these things, not necessarily because he, he hates us. It's, it's the opposite. It's because he loves us. He cares deeply for us. And so we can see immediately that this long list of rules, this, this checklist of do this, don't do this, don't do this, that we see at the very beginning of our movie, why do I do these things, and that your friends perceive you just have a bunch of rules and checklists suddenly turns into things that you um, shouldn't do or have to do, and, and you can talk to your blue in the face, but all you can say is, listen, it's not that I shouldn't do these things or, or have to do these things. I'm just telling you, I don't want to do them. Suddenly, have-tos uh, turn into want-tos. Something like shoulds turn into like, I desire to, to, to be participating in this. And, and, and you almost want to look back at them and say, if you only knew, like the joy that you're seeking is actually found in the way God made it to take place. Like the, the, even the beauty of drunkenness, so, so long as a church we've removed ourselves from alcohol, God made hops, y'all. Like he made them. And he made beer to be drank a certain way. And it's good, and it's God-honoring. I don't drink because I'm not a sinner, but, um, <laughs> but the truth is, like, he, he makes alcohol and wine to, 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 be, to be drank a certain way, and when we take it to a place it's not supposed to, it's, it's, a, it's fake. It's Satan saying, that, like, this is, this is how it really should be experienced. Who is God to tell you how to experience it? Well, he made it. So then he goes on. Let's, let's finish our text. He goes on to say this, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. I love this word provision because this word provision, some of your versions might even say forethought or foresight. Like what love does is it it doesn't just say, uh, I need to wake up immediately now, but I need to think ahead because when you are parking in that dark spot on the the, the street with him or her, um, you're losing that battle every time. Like you're just not winning that battle. If you were alone with him or her in an apartment, in your room, that, that game is already over. But what the Bible's just telling us, that love very intentionally puts in front of things, thinks ahead. And even our culture would agree with this. Like if you love your husband or wife, you think about your anniversary come up. You plan ahead. Oh, that's romantic. Because you put the work in ahead of time. And God is saying it's the same thing here. To not gratify the lusts of the flesh, the desires of the flesh, that you need to think ahead. Make no provision. Don't provide avenues. Put borders around. Make this thing a self-imposed, grace-saturated legalism. I'm not going to do those things. I'm not going to do those things. Well, that's not bad. Yes, but I know if I do that, that will lead to that. So I'm going to stay as far away from that as I possibly can. Because unfortunately, in our Christian culture, the, the phrase of the narrow, the, the ends of the narrow path, the edge of the narrow path, it's like, it's like falling off because we like to walk so close to the edge. No, I'm not going to do that. So make no provision. Like have foresight. Plan how to get out of it before you're in it. And then, uh, you know, we can talk all day, and I don't have an answer to even what it means to put on um, Christ, right? There's a, I don't know, we talked as pastors even how we, we play this out, but here's, here's what I can say for sure when I put something on. Number one, I feel it, that it's on me, right? So it's a t-shirt or whatever it is. I know that it's there. It's, I'm conscious of, of, of it being there. But the other thing is this, when people see me, that's the first thing that they see right? So I'm thinking about what I'm going to do, and I'm putting on Christ. So as I wake up in the morning, 
and I get dressed, like uh, th- this morning, I, may, I was, said this this morning too, so I'll say it again to give Eugene a, a, a shout out. Eugene would be proud of what I'm wearing. If you don't know Eugene Scott, he was a guy who left some months ago, but that dude was, that dude had some style, okay? Um, and I'm like, hey, Eugene, I take a selfie. No, I didn't do that. Um, but, but I thought about what I was wearing this morning, right? If I'm going to be wearing a purple shirt, I'll be made fun of by Frank, like whatever it is, okay? So I process. Now, the same is true as when I wake up in the morning, you get dressed for, because you know what you're going to go to. If you're going to go to work, you're going to wear a tie. If you blah, 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 okay? And he's saying, put on Christ. Think about before you go and not making provision, hey, you're going out there with him. Like he's all over you. Process that. Whatever you're going to do today, know that he is in the midst of it. And, and I love our whole text. What it does is it puts in two very clear apparent things. If we love Jesus Christ, then we will take this checklist, this list of rules, this list of things, because what Jesus did was he said, hey, it's not about the list. There's nothing you can do to earn my love. I just love you. You couldn't fulfill the list even if you tried. I just love you. Now, because I love you, here's your list. And so this list, suddenly now we see uh, with the weight of it, the undergirding, the foundation is love. And we don't play games with silly things. My man, Charles Spurgeon, who's a pastor a couple hundred years ago, well, not even quite. Um, I love the dude. I love reading him. He's my favorite read. He has a, a, a great quote that helps, our get our, helps us get our mind around this. This is what he says. If I had a brother who had been murdered, what would you think of me if I daily consorted with the assassin who drove the dagger into my brother's heart? I took this part of the quote because I didn't think it'd be necessary, but I love this part. It says this. I won't say it on the screen. If I ate with him and played with him, surely I too must be an accomplice in this crime, in the crime. Yet sin murdered Christ. Will you be a friend to it? Sin pierced the heart of the incarnate God. Can you love it? If, if somebody walked into this room after service and I'm holding hands with one of you ladies, we're just sitting here interlocking hands and my wife walked in and she saw me holding hands with one of you. Like her, I'd be like, what are you doing? I'm just, I'm just holding her hand. Like I'm just holding her hand. I'm not making out with her. We're not like cuddling. I'm just holding her hand. But like for her, like that's a big deal. What would be worse if, if I enjoyed it? I just really like holding her hand. See, but for us, like, it's like, why, it's just this. It's, that's not that big of a deal. Are you kidding me? It's not that big of a deal. If you saw your husband or your wife not doing a big deal, the same thing you're not doing, or your friend, or even uh, as you took a step back from yourself and said, what am I doing? It is a big deal. If I love my wife deeply, I want to honor her in all that I do. And if that's not something that pleases her, then I don't want to do it. So holding a hand suddenly becomes a big deal. And yet here we are. We play games, man. We play games and we're not waking up. We're not taking it serious. We're not following the law of Jesus Christ deeply because we love him to the details. We're not being proactive. We're not caring about uh, uh, the, the, the very intimate way, the things that we do at our jobs and our families. These are things, it's, it's when no one's looking, I'm good. No, you're playing a dangerous game, man. So before I pray, um, I want to say this, because I think the gospel is clearly found in that verse 8, the very beginning of our passage, when it tells us that we should owe no one anything except to love them. I think what's awesome about this passage is there's no man before or after like Jesus Christ. He owed nobody. Like, he came in all of his glory. He wasn't in debt to anybody. Matter of fact, he was, not only was he not in debt to, to anybody, but he took our debt loved us deeply, entered in deeply, cared about us deeply. There is no better picture 
than the cross for an example of love. And if we try to, so, so how do we do love? If we try to continue to follow the rules of God and the laws of God without love, well, then we have to ask the question, well, how do I love? I'm telling you the only way to do this is to be reminded of the depths of your sin and how much he loved you and how much he paid for you and how much the cross cost. Let me finish with, this, uh, with our text. I'll, I'll, I'll read this and then uh, we can be done. It's in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 and part of the verse 2. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded, I normally wouldn't do this. I would read out of the ESV, but I, I felt like the NLT, the New Living Translation, really um, showed and got under what, what um, uh, was trying to be said. He said, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race. So he, hear this, what he just said, man, stop, stop, Stop doing that. Stop it. It's a sin that's tripping you up. It's entangling you. You're believing the lie and you're getting caught up in these things. Run with endurance the race that God set before you. And it says this, run with endurance the race that God has set before you. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. How do we do this? Like, I've been forgiven so much you know how many times? I snapped at my kids seven times yesterday. Seven. I'm not fit to be a dad. I'm not, get, like, I'm just, like, not giving my wife a massage. You know how long it's been? Like, I, I'm up here, to, and it's just real. It's a reality. I'm, I can't get this thing right, and I'm reminded of my brokenness. I'm reminded that I don't deserve him. But because of the cross, because I keep my eyes on him, like how much he loved, and for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. That's, what, that's what's got to motivate me. So that's it, that we would, we, would, we would live a life of sacrifice, but only because it is undergirded with love. I pray that we'd be moved by that, that unbelievably deep truth. Let me pray for you. Father, thanks so much for your word. Thanks for the passage this morning. We're grateful that um, our life does not consist of things that we just have to do. We're, we're, we're so grateful because some of us in our self-righteousness would try to conquer that list. And when we got it right, we wouldn't be doing it for any other reason than just to get it right. We, we would have only ourself to thank. And then there are some of us who feel so far from you. Like we, we've gotten it wrong so many times that, that we'll never be able to come back to the center. But your word, your gospel, like pulls both parallels, pulls us tightly into the cross. Both the self-righteous have nothing to stand on and the one who comes to the table with nothing in his hands suddenly walks away complete. Thank you for that. I pray that we wouldn't see these rules as a checklist, but that we would follow you, that we would read, that we would fast, that we would pray, that we would go to community, that we'd come here on Sunday, that it, it would be music that we would question and, and movies that we would question, not because we find salvation in those things, but because we want to love you deeply and be intentional about those things. Holy Spirit, like wash over our frozen hearts with your warm water. Make us clean. Take our stony hearts and give us a heart of flesh. Pray that we would, we would love you deeply and we would follow you meticulously. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.